From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. This is Stu Friedman, and my guest on this episode is Brad Harrington. He is the executive director of the Boston College Center for Work and Family, and he conducts research on the changing role of fathers at home and at work. Brad is the lead author of a seven-year research study called The New Dad that explores the changing roles of fathers as both breadwinners and caregivers. We talk in this episode about how the roles of fathers have changed, the three kinds of modern dads that Brad and his colleagues found in their research. Listen and find out which one you or some father you know might be and what that means for their lives, their work, their children, why supporting fathers at home is essential if we're going to advance women in business and society, and some concrete advice for fathers on how to face the stigmas that still exist in a big way, stigmas uh, that they face as caregivers, and what organizations can do to make positive changes that would help fathers in their pursuit of success in their roles as fathers in addition to their career ambitions. And finally, as a special bonus, on this episode of the podcast, we've included the stories of listeners who called into my SiriusXM Wharton radio show, each one with a unique story about fathers. Brad, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's always my pleasure to talk to you, Stu. Thanks thanks for inviting me to be on the show. It's great to have you here. So uh, for listeners not familiar with your work, Brad, uh, could you just give me give us the 30-second version of uh, what prompted you to embark on this research on fathers? Sure. Well, um, first off, I guess is I'm, I am one, Stu, and I have uh, three kids now. They're 21, 19, and... 16. And uh, when I was a corporate guy for 20 years with uh, Hewlett Packard Company, I used to travel uh, long and far and uh, way too often. And uh, the idea around work and family really became uh, kind of forefront in my mind back in 2000. Uh, I changed careers and work, um, switched over here to uh, the Center for Work and Family. And for the first eight or nine years, I was in the role as a director. One of the things I found is I would go to conference after conference and listen to research after research and corporate initiatives and so forth. And it seemed like there was a forgotten person in the family with most of these conversations. Uh, it seemed like one day a year, Father's Day, everybody remembered there was a dad who was part of the equation. And the other 364 days, father seemed somewhat irrelevant other than being the breadwinner. So after really seeing fathers sort of as a um, 
uh, under-researched and under, and I think under-supported and under, uh, mis- some, sometimes misunderstood part of the family. Um, and, you know, specifically looking at it through the lens of employers, I thought maybe it was a good time for somebody to start some, doing more research and, and bringing more visibility and attention to the issues that dads faced. So you said um, under under supported. What do you mean by that? Like, what was it that was most striking to you? Well, I think when you think of the genesis of the field, work life or work family, however you want to call it, I mean, I think the genesis of the field really came into its own in the 1980s. And the reason it did was young women were graduating from colleges and graduate schools and business schools and law schools and were struggling with how to balance, you know, oftentimes toddlers, young kids, and and having a career at the same time. And that challenge was very, very real for them. Uh, and, uh, And because most organizations and especially big corporations and law firms and, and, you know, healthcare organizations were set up when men were pretty much uh, ruling the roost and men pretty much had uh, oftentimes had traditional family arrangements with a wife. Mm -hmm. That's when, uh, you know, the field came into its own. And I think for a long time, the focus of the field was very much on those women with young children. But in recent years, we've seen that this issue has really uh, broadened in many different ways, you know, beyond children to elder care and and so forth. Um, and, And some of the solutions that have come about, you know, from flexible workplaces to to virtual workplaces and so forth have been in response to those kinds of needs. But Mm -hmm. one thing that happened a few years ago was people started to really acknowledge that fathers were feeling as much or more stress than their spouse when it came to balancing work and family. And so that's why we felt this was something that needed to be addressed. And to be honest with you, Stu, a lot of the corporations, they just had a lot of support systems and structures that were aimed at their female employees and didn't really take the, uh, the men into account. Well, we are we are in the midst of a revolution in in uh, the roles that men and women play in society, and uh, the roles of caregiver and breadwinner are in some ways up for grabs, and in 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 ways that uh, didn't exist twenty years ago. That's for sure. For sure. Uh, so you started studying systematically uh, the fathers of today uh, about eight or nine years ago. What have you, what's been the most striking observation in your research since you launched the New Dad study? I think it was back in 2009. Yeah. What, what's been most prominent in your thinking and your observations and your research and your work with companies in terms of what has changed over these last uh, eight or 10 years? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the first thing that's been, it was interesting, and this started with the first study, is when we started talking to dads. And at that point, Stu, in 2009, we were talking to guys who had just become fathers within the past year. So we titled our first study The New Dad because they were literally new dads. And, uh, yeah, obviously there was a double meaning to it as well, but we really were looking at guys who just become mm-hmm. fathers. And the first thing that struck us way back then was how pretty much all of them said to me, this is the first time I've ever had a conversation with anybody <laughs> about what it meant hmm. to be a father, what it was like to be a father, what are the struggles that a father mm-hmm. um, you know, is engaged in on a day-to-day basis. And More so, evidence of their being underappreciated and unsupported if yeah. that, those questions hadn't even come to them. Correct. And uh, and also evidence, I think, of the fact that men men didn't see this as kind of fair game to have conversations about or to be open about in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't 
you know, sitting in men's groups having conversations about how they struggle with work, family, or what some strategies be. Because of the stigma associated with devoting one's attention to caregiving as a, right. as a man. Yeah, and the belief that if you do that, you might tend to be marginalized or, or as you say, stigmatized uh, and seen as too uh, family-centric and not career-centric mm-hmm. enough. Not, not focused enough on yep. or committed enough uh, in the standard traditional ideal worker scenario Correct. of full-time, always. Exactly. And I guess the second thing that came immediately after the publication of our first report was the reaction we got from the media, which was, uh, this was a qualitative study of 35 young dads uh, and, you know, pretty limited sample. And, you know, we got Phone call, our phone rang off the hook after that first year with people asking us all kinds of questions, not only about our study, but also about, you know, uh, men of color, about, uh, you know, blue collar dads, about uh, divorce fathers and, and so forth. And so we realized after that first report that we really had cottoned on to something that really seemed to capture the interests of not just, you know, our corporate members, but also uh, the public at large. So the second time we went through the study, we, we said we've got to increase the sample and we've got to look at people beyond those young dads. Mm-hmm. And we got almost a thousand fathers to participate in the second study. And with that one, and I'm not going to go through each of the seven or whatever, but I just want to say that the thing that was glaring to us was these were fathers who worked in Fortune 500 companies, very, very successful organizations. And these were all you know professionals and managers. And one of the questions we asked is on a continuum between saying, my, my main it, or sole preoccupation is caring for the needs of my children or mine is caring, you know, is caring for the financial needs of my family, i.e. being a breadwinner. Mm-hmm. We said, where would you place yourself on that continuum? Mm-hmm. And 68% of the fathers said smack in the middle. So they saw themselves as a 50-50 proposition between breadwing and, breadwinning and caregiving. So that kind of struck us as interesting because we thought there would be, certainly they would do both, but that we thought that there would be a strong bias leaning on the continuum toward the breadwinner sure. side, and that just wasn't the case. Um, there were no more mm-hmm. fathers who saw themselves as primarily breadwinners than there were who saw themselves as primarily caregivers. So it was a perfect bell-shaped curve with, as I said, 68% of the, mm-hmm. the guys saying it's a 50-50 proposition. So that really helped us to understand that, you know, that dads really wanted to be part of this equation. So this was about what their aspirations were or yeah. how they, they saw themselves uh, in, term, in the ideal world or mm-hmm. what they actually were doing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, <laughs> that leads us to a very interesting point. I think this is how they saw the role of a good dad. I see. Um, they saw their role. I think the question actually was, when you think about the role of a good father, Father, you know, or the, think about yourself in the role of being a good dad. Where would you place? Your, where would you place uh-huh. your energies on this continuum? But the question around aspirations became one of the second, you know, or the third, I guess, big finding of our of our work. And we asked two questions in that study, and we've asked it a number of times since. And the first question we asked is, how do you think caregiving should be divided between you and your spouse? And again, almost two-thirds, I'm sorry, over two-thirds, almost 70% of the fathers said caregiving should be divided 50-50, and my spouse and I should divide that equally. So you've got almost 70% of the fathers say that. Then the second question we asked is, well, how is caregiving divided between you and your spouse? And only 30% of the fathers said it is mm-hmm. divided equally. And the, the remaining 70% says she, she does more than I do. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about aspirations, what you see there is, is a real 
you know, a There's a real uh, gap there. Gap, exactly, mm-hmm. between people's, you know, hopes or aspirations and what the reality is of their day-to-day lives. So, so what is changing, uh, or is that changing? Are we stuck with uh, the ideal 50-50? Everybody says that's a good thing, or me- most men do, and yet the reality is that it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen progress or not in the years since you began this study? We've seen progress, but it's not... It's not quite the progress you might expect in the sense that we went to 2011, we did one study, we did another one in 2015, which was of millennials. So in the first study in 2011, we had, you know, Generation X dads and baby boomer dads. So the guys who were in there, you know, late 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s and so forth. And in this study... Uh, we had just millennial dads who went up to age 34. And so we thought we would see a real difference in terms of, you know, how many fathers were, you know, were practicing egalitarianism and were more involved. And there wasn't as dramatic a difference as you would think. In fact, very little. But what we did do when we took the three studies together is to sort of say, well, not clearly most of the fathers um, aspire to mm-hmm. um, to be a, a shared caregiver, mm-hmm. but but some significant percentage are not. Can we break those groups down and really see how they kind of fall out? And what happened was they broke very neatly, Stu, into three groups. The first group were the fathers who said, she should do more than I do, and she does do more than I do. And those were we labeled the traditional fathers, okay. right? The second group said, it should be 50-50, and it is 50-50. And those fathers we labeled uh, the egalitarian fathers. Mm-hmm. And then the third group were the guys who said it should be 50-50, and it isn't. And they were the conflicted fathers. So we had traditional, mm-hmm. egalitarian, and conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we looked into it, and we found many more examples of where the conflicted dads were conflicted. Like, for example, I want to achieve a level in senior management with my company was something that most of them said yes to. But they also said yes to, I want to spend more time at home with my kids. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there were evidence of those conflicts throughout the this, this study. Um, and what we found real quickly, Stu, was amongst the millennials, they were relatively equal numbers between those three groups. The happiest of the three groups, you want to take a guess on which fathers express the highest level of career and life satisfaction? Among well, it must be the conflicted fathers. You think they're the happiest? <laughs> yeah. The I'm fattest. avoiding by, okay. t- by picking the one that's obviously not. Yes. So the most, uh, the, the happiest amongst millennials were the egalitarian fathers. Yeah. Um, and that's what were, one would hope. That's what you'd hope. And that's what, you know, obviously that's uh, music to the ears. A lot of people, for a lot of people who practice, who believe in egalitarianism and for a lot of women who mm-hmm. feel like that might be the best solution. So they were the happiest. The two exceptions where the traditionals scored higher were they were happier with the level of, uh, they had achieved in the organization in terms of advancement. Mm-hmm. And they were also happiest with, um, where they had reached in terms of salary. Other than that, in terms mm-hmm. of the respect they received in the work group and all that kind of thing, the egalitarian fathers were happier in the workplace, mm-hmm. and across every measure, they were happiest in, in life, in terms of their life satisfaction. Mm-hmm. The conflicted dads, on the other hand, they scored lowest on everything, okay? Mm-hmm. And these are the, every, every indicator that we asked them about, both on the work front and on the life front. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
you know, the problem there is we looked at these folks and we tried to say, you know, what seems to be the problem? And part of it was what I said a minute ago about having high career aspirations, Mm -hmm. but also desiring, you know, it's a classic, what we used to say about women trying to have it all. This is the classic case of men trying to have it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so they're they're conflicted there. But also they seem to be the guys that were the most susceptible to the cues from the, in terms of what was coming down on them from the organizational culture. Mm -hmm. So, you would have think the traditional dads would be the most likely ones to say because they are, you know, career centric um, or work centric. You'd think they might be the most likely ones to say you have to work, you know, 50 plus hours a week. You have to be available 24/7. You have to uh, leave your, your personal and family issues at home if you're going to be seen as somebody who's a mover in in the company. Mm-hmm. Actually, the conflicted fathers were more likely to say that than the traditional fathers. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to mm-hmm. us when we read this that it seemed like these were the guys that were the most trying to have it all, but also the the most susceptible to the cues of the organization and the most likely to say, I've got to leave my personal life at home because when I show up at work, I have to put my game face on. My game face. Mm-hmm. My, my, the, the face that I don't necessarily want to be wearing, but feel I must. Mm-hmm. So what are the implications of these studies? And, and have you... Um, have you been able to intervene in any organizations? Because you can imagine, I mean, the obvious implication here is that, uh, you know, the conflicted fathers are probably more likely to burn out and or leave yep. the organizations where they're feeling this kind of conflict between their values yep. and aspirations and what they're able to do uh, in terms of how they lead their lives. Yep. So where have you been directing your attention in terms of, uh, you know, highest impact um, opportunities for change? You know, Stu, it's, um, it's if there's one sort of disappointment I have as a result of our seven years of research, it would be if people said, okay, who's got an intervention going on that's really doing something about this? I would say if there's one glowing success we've had, it's been we did a study in 2014 about paternity leave and the importance of men having the opportunity to stay at home, fly solo with the kids, take responsibility, roll up their sleeves and be a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that, and you know, having, you know, be, being one of the real experts in our field and somebody who watches the field closely, paternity leave has suddenly gotten on people's radar. And when corporations now are starting to get more generous about paid leave, yeah. it's equal for moms and dads. And that's a huge step forward. And we give ourselves some pats on the back for that mm-hmm. because we really help to bring that issue to the forefront about mm-hmm. how important that was for fathers. On the flip side, and what I was starting to say is where we're a little disappointed is we've gone into a lot of organizations and had conversations and pre- made presentations about the changing role of father. We've had a lot mm-hmm. of fathers panels present with us. The, you know, these are mm-hmm. middle and senior managers in the company talking mm-hmm. about what they're grappling mm-hmm. with. So I think what our aim has been really within our employer group mm-hmm. has been to stimulate a conversation and get the conversation mm-hmm. kickstarted. And in every single case, the employer group said, that's the first time we've ever had a conversation amongst our dads. So we've gotten that far with it. And we also obviously try to keep our, our message in the media as much as possible to keep the issue of fathers uh, you know, front and center. Mm-hmm. But as far as saying we've actually done an intervention mm-hmm. where, we've, you know, where we've actually made a difference, we haven't done that yet. Well, certainly raising consciousness, creating conversation among people who can then think about what what opportunities there are for them to make a difference to try mm-hmm. to change the norms and maybe experiment with uh, with new alternatives for how they organize their time 
uh, and and the roles that they play, and perhaps you know rethink their you know their aspirations at work, and mm-hmm. and and look at you know the the bigger picture of their lives to see what success really means for them. Exactly. Uh, there's lots of different ways of going at this, but uh, you know the just just creating uh, the opportunity for conversation is, of course, a very important aspect of laying the groundwork for change. So where do you see the best um, opportunities going forward for what we can do? Uh, and I mean you and me yeah. and, and people like us, but also our listeners, uh, you know, for, for fathers who are conflicted. Yeah. What advice do you have for them? Well, the first thing I would say is that it's the conflicted dads where we see the greatest opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's because, you know, if for no other reason than because they're saying, you know, you said a minute ago, they're probably the most likely to get burnt out, the most likely to leave. We have evidence that suggests that's exactly true. Mm-hmm. And so these are people that are, for one reason or another, are not finding the level of fulfillment in their life that they, sh- they should be and that their organizations would like them to have so that they feel satisfied in their roles and they don't feel that they're torn mm-hmm. uh, between work and family all the time. So we feel those conflicted dads are really the sweet spot of where we need to target interventions. Mm-hmm. And what we see, and you, you used these words just a minute ago, it's the problem of congruence between their values and their actions. And so how do you get people to start to face up to those kinds of issues and to really say, you know, you know, I need to stop letting on one level the organization, you know, kind of pull my strings, on another level the family pull my strings. And what I need to do is really say, what is it that I value and how do I live a life that's congruent with that values? And mm-hmm. I know that's something with the uh, total, le- total leadership book that you mm-hmm. produced through and the, and the seminars that you've run. It, it's all about, you know, figuring out what your sweet spot is yeah. and where, where your values are and then trying to live in a congruent fashion. And we feel that, you know, some kind of intervention where we can reach these conflicted fathers and go into a little bit of depth with them about who they are and what drives them mm-hmm. would really go a long way toward mm-hmm. helping them say, look, I need to kind of resolve this conflict and be happy with the balance I strike, whatever that balance, uh, you know, ends up being. Yes. Uh, at the individual level, certainly that is what we have to do is to, uh, is to give people the tools to, to raise those questions and then to think creatively about what kinds of changes they can make. Do you, do you see opportunity for positive change in organizations? Now we know that especially in finance and technology, you know, the companies now, the best companies are, are falling all over themselves trying to out paternity leave each other, <laughs> right. which is great. We want that. Yeah. We want that competition. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the more, the better for mothers and fathers. Unfortunately, right. our national policy currently with the current administration is yeah. not following suit. Nope. Uh, but the private sector can really lead the way here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what can people listening do to help their companies become more aware of the value of investing in fathers as caregivers? You know, I think, you know, one thing is that, you know, men have to understand that, you know, they have sort of basically they have a two-headed role here. One is, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a responsibility as a family member and they've got a responsibility as a as a responsible dad. So many fathers will say this is the best job or the most important job I've ever had, the most challenging. You know, so they'd have to live that out in, mm-hmm. in whatever way is congruent with their own values. But then the second thing men have to understand is, you know, that 
you know, it's, it's still true today, uh, gender equality issues and initiatives aside, that men are the people who are in the best position to craft and shape corporate culture. So, you know, mm-hmm. a number of the presentations I've given, I've been fortunate enough to have CEOs there present. Mm-hmm. A couple of them have been fathers. You know, they've tried to talk about what they try to do with their challenging jobs um, to, you know, to live up to their family responsibilities. So having senior executives send that signal and also reinforce that through the kinds of re- behaviors they, you know, make visible and the kind of behaviors um, that they reward. And the other thing I would say for organizational leaders is to really think about something that I've really believed since we started these studies, which is if you believe in women's advancement, and that's something that's really important to your organization, and you know as well as I do how many organizations invest tons and tons of money and time and effort into women's advancement. If you believe in that, and you don't actively, and I mean proactively, uh, invisibly support the roles of fathers in the home, then it feels like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Because the only way you can really promote women's advancement um, in the workplace is to support fathers' role in the home. Because exactly. you know, if women are going to do more in the workplace and excel more and take on jobs of great responsibility, somebody has to take up that slack. And I think a lot of fathers are more than happy to do that, not just because they need to, but because they want to. So and organizations need to encourage that. They do. At- but how? I mean, role modeling is one very important means for, for trying to send the signal that fathers, you know, if you want to be spending time as a father, that's something we want to support. Here's how I did it. Here's how you can do it. Right. Uh, so that's critical. Uh, is, is there anything else that, that people should know about what they can try to do to, you know, foment the revolution and speed it up? Yeah. I mean, I think this is going to sound a little soft. Stu, but I think one of the things is that, you know, to be very sensitive about the kind of cues we send out to fathers Mm -hmm. when they take, take, for example, I'm going to take that paternity leave and I'm Mm going to take six weeks or eight weeks Mm -hmm. off. Be careful what you say to dads who say, I need to leave every day at at a certain time because Mm -hmm. I do pick up and my wife does drop off, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that it's important that we really raise that conversation because it's not just what the CEO or the senior leaders do. It's what men's immediate managers do and also what their colleagues say. Mm -hmm. So men are not just affected by, I mean, obviously we're all affected by our managers because they have, you know, a certain amount of power and influence over us but mm-hmm. but it's also you know do, do, you know if a man says i gotta do pickup you know every afternoon do they get snickers do they get you know side comments or whatever or mm-hmm. is that seen as a, a legitimate role for men to play i think it's a you know you called it a revolution we in our first sentence in our first report we said there's a quiet revolution going on in the united states and i think it has been a very quiet revolution mm-hmm. and i think unlike the women's movement which was much more vocal with more visible leaders this is something that seems to be happening in much uh, softer and, and, and less evident ways. So I think anything we can do to sort of have the conversation and promote awareness about mm-hmm. the importance of, of uh, allowing dads to play their role at home and, and as well as at work, I think is really going to Well, celebrating important. them for yeah, that and, and especially, uh, you know, framing it as, as you are and as we're trying to do here and the work that we're doing at Wharton to, as, as a human issue that's not just about uh, you know, making it easier for fathers to be the kind of dads they want to be, but but for uh, women to advance in their lives in the way that they want to, and for companies to be able to, in the whole private sector, our society to be able to uh, take advantage of uh, the full uh, resources and talents and energies and passions of uh, men and women, absolutely, in whatever yeah. roles they want to play. And yeah. and I'm and I'm uh, grateful to you, Brad, for your leadership in. Uh, 
in helping to to spur positive change in our world. And I appreciate your sharing your thoughts about it in this conversation with me tonight. Brad, uh, for people who want to learn more about the work, the great work that you're doing uh, at the Boston College Center, where should they go? So our website is www.bc, as in Boston College, so bc.edu, and then forward slash CWF, www.bc.edu slash CWF. Great. Thanks so much, Brad. Really really enjoyed it. Okay, take care now. Next up, we're going to hear from a few listeners who called into the live radio show on Sirius XM Wharton Business Radio. Each one of them brought a unique perspective to our conversation about fathers as caregivers, and I offered some personal advice uh, to them, including uh, something that I, I did with my daughter when she was very young, 17, 18 years ago, um, that that might be useful for, for listeners, uh, especially those who have to work at a long distance from their home. Emmanuel, welcome to Work and Life. Hey, how are you doing? Today? I'm doing well, thanks. What's your story or your question? So, um, generally speaking, um, I, I've kind of lived both sides, right? Uh, when I my first daughter was born, she was actually born premature. So I did take paternity leave. I did take off six weeks to help uh, take care of her and, and nurture her mm-hmm. through her, her premature cycle. And then, L- let me ask: was that on, was that six weeks? Um, was that paid or unpaid? It was paid. I, I believe it's state paid. Uh, FMLS from New Jersey. They, New Jersey has a really good system where they'll offer some compensation, and I use the rest of my PTO to compensate. Uh huh. So, and then uh, later on, I, I as my daughter, my I had a second daughter grow up, uh, or born rather, and then she. I noticed that my skill set, or rather my benefit, was bet- more used to kind of increase my compensation to try and offer better opportunities to my children, as opposed to trying to offer time and mm. and be there as they as they grow up. So now I'm in a situation where I travel for work and I don't have as much time with them. Mm. So I'm, again, it's kind of both sides, but I could see the benefit of, of both. And once you make the make the decision of whether you should put more time towards them or put more time towards being able to provide for your family and you work with your, your, your spouse from that perspective and it works out all together. So um, what does your spouse think about what you're doing now and perhaps what you should be doing? Um, I think there's, there's definitely an appreciation that their compensation or, or my salary is able to take care of the family. But, there's not, but I think there's also a desire for me to be able to spend more time with my kids. And there's also a desire on my part as well. So from that perspective, mm-hmm. I'm always looking for opportunities to be able to fill in that gap. Even mm-hmm. midweek as I'm traveling, I make an effort to uh, travel home either Tuesday or Wednesday night just to spend a few hours with my girls and put them to bed mm-hmm. and then go back and then travel a lot. So, I mean, I do lose a lot of sleep on that. But from that mm-hmm. perspective, again, the benefit is to provide for them as opposed to care. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a slippery slope. You can't always have it 100 percent no that's for sure no nobody can uh it's not possible uh and to think that you can is just causes more frustration 
what what I believe is that you can have more of what you really want over the course of your whole life if you're thoughtful, as Emmanuel, you seem to be, uh, about well, what are my priorities now? So it sounds like you're you're giving priority to the aspect of you know who you are in your family, uh, to you know being able to provide as much uh, financial security for them, and you know all the resources that come with that. As as you can, but there's the the tension of the the trade of that for for time, for time mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. But you're also, it sounds to me, trying to be creative to look for ways to really max out on the time that you are able to be with them. Exactly, exactly. And but, as you speak, I'm actually driving back now. <laughs> you're driving back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work about three to four hours away from home, so generally it's like a long commute. Back. Wow. It's not, it's not short enough to commute. And they're right probably now, not, I see. So they're probably not old enough yet for you to talk to them on the phone, or are they? No, they are. I mean, like, my daughters are three and five. Uh, oh, okay. My eldest is about to start school, and then we're oh. trying to go through that process of do we do private versus public. Mm. And again, if we do private, it's definitely more of a push for me to be able to provide mm-hmm. financially as opposed to be there to do the pickups and the drop-offs. So again, it's a trade-off. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have to wrap in just a minute, but I wonder if I could ask you one more thing, Emmanuel, and that is about what you do in your home to make sure that you are as you know, fully focused on your, your daughters as you can be when you are indeed physically present there. Yeah, definitely when I'm home, I'm always, I, I call it daddy time. I mean, I'm, I'm either, you know, helping feed them or I'm helping, like, take, uh, showering them, what have you, mm-hmm. and then putting them to bed or what have you. But then also, I'm also about to start school and what have you, so yeah, a lot of my time at home is also focused on studying. So, mm-hmm. again, there's just so many challenges with everything, but they, they do know that he's there and that, daddy, that, my, that their father cares for them mm-hmm. and that if they need anything, you know, they could always ask. And at this age, is more of can I watch the iPad as opposed to I don't, where is daddy at? And then every time I do talk to them in the evening, they're like, when are you coming home? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, Let, it's, it's definitely a journey. It is a journey, Manuel, and I have been on that journey. Let me just tell you, I'll give you one thing that I did that, I think was a good thing. It certainly made me feel a little better, and I think it might have helped my daughter. When I was uh, an executive at Ford Motor Company, there was one year, this was my, uh, back in 1999, 2000, 2001, and that one of those years, uh, I was commuting from Dearborn to Philadelphia, and my family was living here in Philadelphia, and I would make a habit of writing every day an email to my daughter, just wow. expressing my love to her. And it took me, you know, a minute and a half, but I made it, you know, a pretty regular thing. And uh, it certainly made, made, you know, made it clear to me and to her at some level that we were, you know, that I had my, my mind on her, even if I wasn't able to, to be there, you know, in person as, as often as I wanted to. Oh, excellent tidbit. I'll duly noted. I'll definitely try and incorporate that. See, that. Well, if you do that, Emmanuel, I would love to hear like what the impact is on you, if, if that makes things any better. Emmanuel, thank you so much for calling Work and Life. And we're talking about fathers and the conflicts, especially that fathers face when trying to be the dad they want to be, but they're just not able to. Jill, welcome to Work and Life. Well, thank you. Tell me, what is what is your story? What's your take on this issue of fathers uh, conflicted about the time they want to spend but aren't able to? 
So I just wanted to bring up an interesting point. I don't know if this is common across um, the U.S., but mm-hmm. my husband and I work for the same company. We actually work for a, in higher education. It's a fairly large university. And um, when we just recently had a child, and they kind of made us share the 12 weeks of maternity leave. So whatever he was going to take, it took out of what I was able to take. Hmm. And so I just thought that that was interesting in, you know, the way that they're allowing fathers of people who attend the same company to kind of be involved during that time of a child's life. So were you happy with this arrangement or did you find it uh, that it wasn't fair in some way? I mean, did you think it was a good idea? Um, no, <laughs> I, my husband wanted to, you know, he did stay at home, um, for about two weeks, but he wanted to stay, mm-hmm. you know, for additional time, but it was kind of like, no, because the longer you stay, that means the shorter amount of time that I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was nursing and, um, all of that. So you kind of established that I needed that time, but of course he wanted to be there. And I wanted him to be there, but it was, you know, it just didn't really make sense for both of us when the time had to be shared. Hmm. So is is that period now in the past or are you in the midst of it now? It's in the past. I see. And uh, did you um, did you talk about this with anybody at work about how you wanted to uh, perhaps change the policy or or adjust it in a way that would work better for you? I mean, it was definitely discussed both from my husband's end and my end, but, you know, to get it all the way up the chain of command and the complex system that we're in, you know, I don't really know who you talk to to get something like that changed. Um, But of course, whenever surveys come out, my husband will always be like, oh, all I did was complain about how that is the worst policy ever. You know, mm. you have to share your maternity paternity leave. And it, it's not even like we're in the same department. We're completely, you know, disconnected, but we are within the same company. So it's almost as if you're being punished for being uh, a couple at, at your at your com- at your organization. Right? Because if, exactly, if it yeah. was just you, would you get the full twelve weeks? Yes. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so it's kind of, you know, stupid. either one of you. Yeah, exactly. And I, I kind of did some research on it. And I don't know if it's just our state, but mm-hmm. it is very common. I mean, we're not the only For, company or institution that has that policy. Where Yeah, where the 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 family is given a certain amount um, for for people who a certain amount of time, um, you know, that... That is distressing, and what your your husband is doing, you know, in terms of you know railing against uh, what he believes, and apparently you believe to be a kind of unfairness in this, uh, and expressing that to the powers that be, you know, that's what that's what you can do, and that's what you should do. Um, meanwhile, you've had to figure out how to make that system work, and if you have more kids, you're going to have to you know, figure it out again. It's going to be even more complicated uh, as, the, as the family gets bigger. But open your mouth and talk to people. I mean, especially if you two are valued employees, uh, they're going to want to listen to you, um, or at least uh, you know one would hope that they would. So. Do you have an opportunity to express your views about this this policy and perhaps talk with other parents about it? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. And, yeah, exactly. And gathering people, you know, because we're obviously not the only couple of course. in this big company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did just, I do think that it kind of speaks to, you know, what they're allowing fathers to help out with when their wives are kind of part of the same company. And I think that that's probably a struggle because mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people, you know, meet through the workplace. And so if that. Sure policy is affecting, I mean, it's going to affect the fathers, I think, more than it affects the mothers. Obviously, I was also affected, but it was him who, like, wanted to be there, and, you know, he kind of got cut short on that. Because the the likelihood is that the woman's going to want to take the more time. Right. Right. So it, 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 Maybe it, not. Well, not always, for sure, but your, but your point here is that the, the father gets the, the short end of the stick here, because... Um, you know he's got a he's got a trade uh, in order for the, mo- the his child's mother to have, to be available for his child. Uh, so I I'm, I'm going to have to um, move on here, Jill. But this is such a great point that you raise, and the the encouragement I want to you know again offer you is to be talking to other parents about this, and especially about how by perhaps changing or adjusting this policy. Uh, that you know you can you can have an impact on um, how other people see this issue, how they talk about it, and start to change the conversation. That's what I encourage everybody listening to do: to change the conversation by talking about these issues. Mike is calling from San Diego. Mike, welcome to Work and Life. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for calling. Uh, so my situation is I'm an expecting father. Nice. I'm recently married, uh, about a year now, and I, um, my wife is the breadwinner. And so I recently decided, or together, we've decided that um, I would quit my job and that um, I guess my wife wants me to be more of the caregiver in the relationship um, when we have our kid about like uh, six months from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I heard the conversation on my way home earlier about like there were like three tiers and I feel like I kind of may have been in that sort of conflicted role and it really affected me psychologically really? because I worked a lot and I wanted I want to be around mm-hmm. when my child comes and I want to be able to share the the, the role of a caregiver uh, mm-hmm. equally with my wife mm-hmm. although that may not be the case I may be more of a caregiver mm-hmm. but it will be both of our decision mm-hmm. and um, if I remember correctly this that tends to be the best outcome is that for for both uh, the spouse and the wife and uh, the spouse both spouses well, and the child I think in that study they were looking at outcomes for fathers and how they felt oh, okay. about various aspects of their careers and their lives and they found that those who were involved in caregiving to the extent that they wanted to be uh, you know did did better on almost all measures of life uh, and career satisfaction I I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, if you've got the support in your household for doing that uh, from your spouse and it fits with how you want to, you know, measure success for yourself in your life at this point in your life, I applaud you. And uh, well, yeah. uh, And there's you're part of a growing movement of men throughout this country who are taking uh, the same approach. Uh, So do you have any concerns about it? I guess in the back of my mind, I always have this concern about uh, the way that my 
kid will view me um, mm-hmm. because it'll obviously be non-traditional that um, if my wife is uh, the breadwinner in the family and I'm maybe, uh, you know, a stay-at-home father. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a concern of mine. You know, that's something that I'm always thinking about. And that is that, that's a good thing to be thinking about. I've done some study of this topic, uh, and if you go to the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project, you can find some of our research there. We've had other people on the okay. show to talk about fathers and fatherhood, and, and there's a group in New York City uh, that's called the New York City Dads Group, and they are they are flourishing throughout the country. There might be an outfit in San Diego that is similar. It's for It's for dads who are primarily at home. Uh, and finding support in uh, just talking to other fathers about what they are up to and the kinds of the very kinds of conflicts that that you are experiencing internally, like what kind of role model am I going to be? Uh, let me just say, so I would urge you to to reach out and to find other people who are in similar situations. But I would also tell you that what you're doing is becoming much more common, and you know less. Um, you know, different, uh, and so that your children are less likely to stand out than, say, someone who was a stay-at-home dad 20 or 30 years ago, like one of my very mm-hmm. best friends, who was also on the show here with his wife, and this is a guy my age, 60, he's over 60, and he ra- he was the stay-at-home dad, raised three boys, and I've talked to wow. them, I know them well, and I can tell you that they love and admire him very much. So it's not so much what your role is; it's the kind of love that you that you provide, Mike. And uh, you know that is really the name of the game. That's awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that information and those words of encouragement. Thank you so much. All right. Well, uh, I hope to hear from you again, Mike. Maybe when your baby arrives, we'll talk some more. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. Will do. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Work and Life, and thanks everybody for listening to our show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brad Harrington about the new dad. So if you are a working parent and you have a partner who either lives with you or not, here is my challenge to you. Well, call it an an invitation to try to use what you were just listening to Brad and I talk about and what I was talking about with the listeners who called in. Why not have a future-focused conversation, not rehashing the past, but looking forward with your spouse or partner about how you would like to be dividing your caregiving and breadwinning responsibilities. You, you know, you, you really can't have this conversation too often, and most people neglect doing so enough. So it's not that complicated. What is it you both want? for your children. What's the biggest problem that you face that prevents you and your partner from achieving a sense of peace and satisfaction in your roles as caregiver and breadwinner? So do a brief bit of diagnosis, looking at what the big obstacle is, and then generate some ideas about a small easy-to-do experiments, a step that you can take toward the goal of being the father, the mother you really want to be, and then try it. Just try it once or twice. Write to me with your thoughts about what you discover in even just thinking about doing this, let alone actually doing it. 
Tell me what happens. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd also like to hear your thoughts about what it was like to listen to uh, the people who called in to the show. Did you enjoy this part of the episode? Do you want me to do this more or not? Your opinion matters. So write to me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. For more information about Brad Harrington, follow him on Twitter, as I do, at Dr. Brad H. that's D-R-B-R-A-D-H. And you can also follow the Boston Center for Work and Family at B-C-C-W-F. Two final notes. You can now find the Work and Life podcast with Stu Friedman featured on thriveglobal.com. And finally, please take just two seconds to rate and review the Work and Life podcast. I so much appreciate and read all the comments. It means a ton to the fantastic students on our production team to hear from you. And listeners tell me that it feels good to share the practical ideas that we're generating here at the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project, because doing so tells people that this is an issue that matters to you. So help change the conversation by rating and reviewing Work and Life podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.